Hello again, everyone, and welcome to People Make the Difference, the Lorient podcast. We bring together the best guests from across HR, TA, technology and people related functions to talk about all aspects of talent acquisition, talent management, industry insights and much more with the aim to give our listeners an insight into what the best organisations do in this space to acquire and look after the people that make a difference within their own businesses. In this episode, I'm so lucky to be joined by Adam Gordon, uh, co-founder of Candidate ID and uh, a familiar face to many who watch Hung Lee's regular podcasts um, and just a real industry veteran, although that's not saying anything about his age, but someone who gives us a lot of insight into uh, building a hiring-related business, uh, what the future of TA looks like, uh, the future of recruitment technology looks like. This essentially is a must-listen. Um, I've got to say a massive thank you to Adam to join us. It was a great conversation. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoy. Um, as always, please get in touch to carry on the conversation. Um, all the links are in the, the description of the episode. And yeah, enjoy. And thanks again to Adam Gordon for joining us. So, Adam, for, I doubt there's many people who don't know who you are already in our industry that would listen to this. But for those who haven't heard you or, or come across you and your your various guises, would you mind giving us an introduction? Um, maybe talk a bit about how you got started in, in the recruitment and talent industry um, and just give us a bit of a career overview and, and what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So um, thanks very much for having me for a start. Um, I've been in recruitment since 1999. I got into the industry because um, a friend of mine, a couple of years older, uh, went into recruitment and um, two years in, he was driving a Mercedes. That sounded quite good to me. And I thought, I'll have that. I'm never going to make it as a um, professional footballer or a rock star. So how else am I going to get a Mercedes in my second <laughs> year? Uh, I didn't get a Mercedes, actually, uh, thinking about it now. But um it was uh, that's what that's what attracted me to the industry. I would love to say it was because I wanted to help people or something yeah. like that. That's not the truth. Um, but what did happen, which was really interesting, was um, after a couple of years of working in a recruitment agency, I worked out that I had limited interest in talking to candidates and getting jobs mm -hmm. filled. Um, what I had a lot of interest in was everything that was done to get the person into the room with me to talk about the vacancy. Yeah. So um, I was in recruitment agency for three years and then I spent um, a couple of years in a international uh, recruitment marketing business, which at the time was called um, Riley advertising, which then it became Euro RSCG Riley It's now called Havas people. Um, which is exactly the same organization it was. It's just that the ownership of the organization, um, like brands have changed within that. The ownership is exactly the same as it was. It's just that the brands have changed. But anyway, um, I learned a lot at that time about employer branding, recruitment, advertising, digital. Um, yeah. I was on the, UK, the company's UK digit, um, interactive task force. Um, so that was between 2002 and 2004. Uh, so quite a long time ago now, um, I then spent three years at PwC, um, primarily in the HR consulting area, helping companies mainly around their internal communication and the effectiveness of their internal communication, employee engagement, linking that to operational things like queue times in stores or 
construction site metrics or and things like that, but also linking it to employee engagement, um, employer branding, uh, and uh, connecting that with recruitment as well. Uh, 2009, I started my own business, which was a talent sourcing company. So we were charging our time for surfing the internet to find names and email addresses. Um, that business became part of Norman Broadbent, the executive search firm, three years later in 2012. Spent four years at Norman Broadbent, part of the operating board there, and really loved my time there. They were in a very fancy part of town in, in St. James's Square. I wore pinstripes. <laughs> I, stayed in a, I stayed in the Caledonian Club a couple of nights a week in London. Uh, yeah, had a good four years there. And then, um, I, and then I worked out that the, there was a need for a technology which would track and score candidates clicks around your career site and around landing pages and around your social media and um so with a co-founder scott mccray we uh built a marketing automation system for talent acquisition uh called candidate id and uh candidate id was first to market marketing automation for ta um it was a lot of blood sweat and tears getting the messaging right, uh, doing the events, doing the podcasts, doing the webinars, doing a lot of stuff on social media, doing a lot of arguing with people about things. Yeah. You, I mean, um, you were, you, you've really put in the, the hard yards. I mean, this is so interesting, Adam, because having known you for a little bit of time, I didn't know any of this this background so it's great to be able to have the time to like dig deeper into this stuff but yeah I mean I'm reading um a book at the minute by Oliver Cookson who started My Protein and it's yeah. such I think it should be essential reading for people who want to start their own business he's talking about doing 19 hour days mixing protein powder and being covered in the stuff but it's it, it was I imagine from what you're saying here it, it was the same for you just all this kind of stuff talking to people like me right now you know all those hard yards after you would already had a successful career because you had this was, burning desire, there's a gap in the market. I mean, it was it was a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, and you know, a lot of people talk to me about candidate ID and they ask me questions about it, and they expect that it was probably all plain sailing in the background, and it absolutely was not. Um, there was real tough times. I mean, 2020 was a horrendous, horrendously stressful year. Mm. Um, in terms of like revenue and customers, and of course, how many companies were investing in talent pipeline software? Yeah. Um, you know, when when the world was burning and nobody knew what the hell was going to happen, it was really challenging times. One of our investors um, gave us as the final condition before investing, they said they wanted us to do a zero revenue financial projections, as in. If we didn't have any revenue at all, what were we going to do? Uh, I mean, that's not something we'd heard about before. My finance director was very light on our feet and managed to put something together. And, you know, we worked it out and they were happy with what we were planning if we had no revenue. We didn't have no revenue, but I mean, we, we, we lost customers. And actually, really yeah. interestingly, we had at that point going into the pandemic, 40% of our revenue was staffing agencies. Um, 
coming out of the pandemic, 0% of our revenue was staffing agencies. So that was something interesting. The other, the other interesting thing was we had a real mix of industries that we were serving going into the pandemic. By the time we came out of it, it was 90% tech and healthcare. Yeah. I mean, we'd really worked out who was our ideal customer profile. Who was still growing in that too. time. Yeah. 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 I mean, so we, we, you know, 2020 was a terrible year. 2021 was an absolutely brilliant year. My co-founder, Scott McRae, um, uh, like he, he was on fire. The, his, his sales performance was incredible. And uh, a lot of that was RPO businesses. A lot yeah. of that was really smart RPO businesses working out that they could be more productive and, and, and efficient and, and um, successful. Uh, by using, uh, you know, candidate ID marketing automation technology. So anyway, I, I, I worked with iSIMS who acquired our company in uh, March 2022 for 10 months. I did the uh, handover and um, I left at the end of January this year, 2023. Uh, loved my time in iSIMS, learned masses about like, What's it really like to scale a technology company? What are the what are the differences in like the processes and the you know mental you know um, thinking uh, and what what what's it what's it what do you need to put into place for scale rather than building something brand new into the market? Mm-hmm. And uh, worked with some amazing people there. Um, the CEO who bought our company, Steve Lucas, is an absolute rock star really great person to uh, spend time with and learn from and uh, loads of other great people in that business as well. So that was good. And then I so I left at the end of January, all in good terms. Um, I'll be building another recruitment tech company later this year. And in the meantime, I'm advising companies on talent pipelining um, and related technologies and processes. That's great. That is brilliant. One of the unscheduled questions I was just jotting down while we were talking there, but I think you kind of answered it already, was what was it like letting go of your baby and walking walking away, for want of a better term? But it sounds to me from that that it's just been an incredibly warm experience and it just felt like the right time. I'll tell you what it was like. It was like our baby was showing potential on the cello. And yeah. I could show our baby how to do scales and arpeggios and do some real simple numbers. But for our baby to get concert ready, uh, like, and fulfill its potential, they needed a real master, uh, you know, master practitioner to uh, look after my baby as a cellist. And what I mean by that is we got it to the point where we had X amount of customers, but it, it needed to go and flourish in a different environment, in an environment with a lot more scale and with people and businesses, a business and processes, which was set up to really develop that scale. And I believe that iSIMS has been very successful in scaling up yeah. uh, marketing automation with Candidate ID. And, um, you know, when we joined that company, they had over 4,000 applicant tracking system customers. So, you know, it's a lot easier yeah. to sell uh, a product to existing customers than it is to brand new customers. And uh, I know that iSIMS is going to be very successful with, with, with Candidate ID. So, you know, I'm a big cheerleader and 
I, I, I feel like, you know, I can keep in touch with my baby. Uh, yeah. And, and I, I always <laughs> will keep in touch with that baby. But it doesn't need me. To, I'm not the right person to parent it anymore. Yeah, you can do Sunday lunch and enjoy the concert. You don't need to be. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's awesome. That's a really positive story. Thank you for that, Adam. But we're going like miles ahead in the, in the story here. Um, with Candidate ID, what was the inspiration? I think you've covered that a little bit, but was there a kind of bolt of lightning one day or was it kind of a slow buildup of lots of different things? Were there any ideas that you thought, I, I get the sense from you that you're a person that you thought I, that you were always going to create your own business. Was there other ideas before that or was it just actually this this bolt from the blue or this idea and you developed it and just just run with it what was the inspiration yeah well actually i, I wasn't uh, my dad was a professional manager um he he had a very successful career he was ceo of a london listed uh, brewery and leisure company and um i had probably always anticipated that i would um follow a career path like his um uh, but I actually wasn't a particularly great employee and I didn't realize it and I realize it now. Um, but following process, following other people's process uh, is, is not something that's all that natural to me. Um, and I'm a bit too rebellious um, for that. And so it, I didn't realize that until long after I'd left employment. Um, in 2000, my mum died in 2008. Uh, and she left the house to my sister and I. Um, and um, my sister lives 300 miles away. So, you know, she'd said she'd probably sell the house. Uh, and so reluctantly, I said, yeah, OK, because quite a big house and I couldn't have afforded to keep it. And my mum was wanting to do it up. She hadn't really got around to achieving what she wanted with it. Like nowhere close. Um, and uh, um 2008 was not a great time to be selling a house. Um, financial crisis. Um, then, like, early 2009, it was on the market. The house was on the market. In early 2009, we got an offer for it. I was like, you can't sell it for that price. Absolutely not. And I tell you what's going to happen is I'm going to quit my job and I'm going to start working for myself in order to try and earn a lot more money in order to keep that house. Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. I quit my job. Um, and set up a social media services company, Social Media Search, it was called, um, which started actually doing a lot of that, you know, that all those like lead gen companies that do stuff for you on LinkedIn. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what we were doing in 2009. And so we were doing that in 2009. And then going into 2010, our customers started asking us when they were hiring again, started asking us about, you know, could you do this for us for recruitment? And so we kind of pivoted into talent sourcing. And so, yeah, no, I, 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 I started working for myself because I wanted to keep my mom's house yeah. and, and I, I, I did that and it's my, my family home and, um, you know, we've got two kids here with a nice garden to play in and, um, we've done all the things that we wanted to do with it. It's taken a long time, but that was what drove me into, um, working for myself, but on candidate ID, <clears throat> there, there, there almost was an aha moment, which was. I was providing services to a pharmaceutical company who one day I was doing a review meeting with them. And I, I said to them, why, what are you doing with the people? You keep asking for the same people over and over again. What are you doing with the people we found for you three months ago and six months ago and nine months ago? And they said, well, 
we asked them if they were interested and some said yes, some said no, some didn't reply. Um, and so, you know, we've got their some of their details on our CRM. Uh, and I said, right, but those who said no three months ago or didn't reply three months ago, what about today? What are they saying now? And they said, well, we don't know. They said no three months ago or six months ago. I'm like, their scenario has changed. You know that. That was like 200 biostatisticians that we found for you three months ago. For some of them, they will be interested today. Some of those people that didn't reply or said no, they, they will be a yes today. So <clears throat> you should be going back to them. I was almost doing myself out of business because, you know, I was telling them they should be recycling. And yeah, they, like, could well, have, they could have bought another six searches <laughs> off you in that time. But Yeah, exactly. And so what I realized was we needed to start, the well was running dry for some of those companies. Like there was an FMCG company in the Midlands constantly asking us for salespeople and, and marketing people and brand people. And the well was literally running dry. We'd found everybody. And so... What we worked out was we need to start nurturing these people and we need to start providing a nurture service. So using um, MailChimp, using Bitly, using uh, lead pages or some sort of landing page builder, we built out a way of being able to track who was opening emails, who was clicking a link, um, and then who was clicking one link from the landing page. But we weren't tracking anything on career sites or on social media or other places. And I met Scott McRae at a conference for a company we were both providing services to. And his business was all about demand generation or marketing automation. And he was helping companies to generate sales leads using marketing automation technology and build up their um, you know, sales funnels. And we started just like, like jamming, like as if some a guitarist and a pianist just got together and started, you know, <laughs> doing stuff together. And but we were in a cafe with napkins, just like drawing stuff out. What do you think about this? Drawing stuff out. What do you think about that? And then we were by the point after about an hour and a half, we were drawing things down on napkins. And it was a mirror image. It was the same thing. And we went, yeah, yes, that's what I mean. And he said, yes, that's what I mean. And we went, we've got to do something about this because nobody else is doing it. So um, that was the, the, the aha moment was that pharmaceutical company asking for the same people over and over. I then asked some other customers of ours, is that the same for you? They said, yes. And what we worked out was ATSs and CRMs were not capable of doing what we needed to understand who was interested in working for that organization, you know, on that day so that you didn't have to have human recruiters phoning people up every month to find out if they're still happy in their job or they're interested in making a move at this point. You needed other digital signals to really scale that. And what I built by pulling bits of technology together to do it was effectively a cobbled together basic marketing automation system. And when Scott was showing me what was happening in sales and marketing, I went, yeah, but that's what we need. So that was, you know, the, the inception yeah. of Candidate ID. It's it's funny how many co-founders just bump into each other in that way and just have that like instant synergy. I was talking to um, somebody you know, Haley from 
diversely we yes we recorded a podcast episode with her and she met her co-founder helen at a conference over coffee exactly the same and then just kept in touch and started talking that way and gosh in-person networking's got a you know got a lot of positives hasn't it Um, it does but i've got to say at this point i've I've seen the news about scott online that you've been sharing so i'm really sorry for for your loss as well it must be you know a hard time for you as well especially talking about these memories and stuff i hope it's i hope it brings back some some good memories from the some of the stuff that you've done together well it always will and um scott was a real force of nature um he was uh i mean exceptionally high on vision and very very good on uh, storytelling very passionate about what he did could bring people on a journey with him um and um like an adventurer like i've never seen before and uh yeah i'll miss him a lot yeah no i imagine i imagine a lot of people will um when I, so what you've just said there adam i mean it this the journey is never straightforward is it but i guess you've scott's had this marketing automation that is in place across tons of other industries but then the meeting of you two together you've spotted the opportunity to do that for candidate nurturing and automating that experience um it is it's that lightning bolt of putting the two together but then you've had that tangible motivation in the background to be a to be a founder in the in the first place anyway because there's been a motivation i guess in front of you in your mum's house that you've seen and it's given you that i'm sure you were driven anyway but giving you that extra drive right right there in front of you i mean obviously candidate candidate ids developed and developed and it is a fantastic tool today but everything that you're saying about marketing automation about nurturing candidates i i would say and please correct me if i'm wrong i know that you would do that i think there's a lot more that ta and the industry in total can do to enhance candidate marketing i don't think i don't even think 50 percent of companies are nurturing and doing that kind of continuous drip fed interest development to candidates that they should be doing would you agree with that do you think there's a lot more that we can we can all be doing with regards to marketing to candidates in an effective way rather than spam and and all of the bad stuff that's out there yeah 100 percent. and you know the fact that um isims the world's biggest ats player acquired candidate id because it wanted to really kind of become the category owner for marketing automation is one piece of evidence of that and then the second piece of evidence of that is nobody else has nobody else has done it. Um, like there's still no comp- yeah. it's still got no competition, and people are phoning me up all the time, going, "Hey, look, um, you know, I'm ready to buy candidate ID. Who do I talk to? I know you're not with Isims anymore, but and I'm sending over like you know leads because um, and people are still coming to me, and then I'm I'm there. People are asking me like, what somebody did it at lunchtime." Had a TA for a large tech company a few hours ago. I spent 30 minutes talking to their challenge, and uh, you know we got onto the what are the technologies to do it. And they said, I mean, there's obviously candidate ID, but what else can do this? I said, not really a lot to be honest. So you know the the fact that as I say, the fact the fact that Isom's acquired candidate ID and are scaling it nicely, that's evidence that people need it. Yeah. But the other the evidence that this is still a big problem area is the fact that isims has a monopoly in this there's still nobody else yeah, doing it and one true. of the problems is i believe that the i believe that a lot of the um 
uh, problems that we have in TA technology is that investor money has gone into products which aren't good enough. Like just because somebody can go and raise 50 million doesn't mean that they should go and raise 50 million to build a shit product that the market doesn't need, but you're going to do some really shiny marketing on the industry to get them to think they need it. I mean, the amount of products we have in our industry, which are smoke and mirrors and utter nonsense, you know, in companies that have gone and raised like 200 million for something that the market never needed is, is a big problem. I think that that extends to the whole of HR tech, but it's really acute in recruitment tech. Do you think that comes from, and I'm not obviously nowhere near as closely aligned to the space as you are. Do you think a lot of that comes from a lot of these founders? For me, I've encountered some, and the goal for them is to get investment. That's yep. the, the end goal is I'm going to yep. get investment. There's no, doesn't seem to be much journey beyond that. Is that, is that where do you think it, it, that issue comes from? It's all about well, that investment. And once you've got that investment, it's whatever. Look, I know I revealed myself as a bounty hunter earlier when I said I joined the recruitment industry to get and receive, <laughs> but I am not totally driven, but that's not what I'm completely driven by. Right? I'm driven by that a little bit, but I'm not completely driven by that. I am now driven and have been for a long time now by making recruitment better for, for, like, for candidates, for recruiters, and for hiring managers. That's what I'm driven by. I've spent 24 years nearly um, in this industry, and I'm very passionate about it. But when I see somebody who's, when I see a business that's like come out of nowhere and raised 5 million, and then the year, a year later raised another 15 million, and look at the founders, and one of them's a banker, and the other one is fair enough, a technologist, and the third one's got experience in something, again, completely irrelevant. The only thing I can see there is people that want to make money and people whose job it is, whose goal it is in life, to go and is to go and make money are going to be driven by how what's the valuation that i can put on this company what's the amount of money that i can raise to generate that valuation and what is the thing that i can say to people on a deck and in a pitch to get them to give me that money to put that valuation on my company what that thing is that goes on that pitch deck and what the market needs to take it forward to make it better for candidates and recruiters and hiring managers is rarely the same thing. This is why we've got so much shitty tech in our industry. It's not just that, there's other reasons as well. Yeah. And I know that I'm being quite confrontational here. This is why I wanted to speak to you. I knew we'd, I knew <laughs> we'd, get, some, I knew we'd get some good value out of it. Was that... I mean, and I don't want to dwell too much on candidate idea. I want to look look forward as well. But was that kind of investment journey one of the challenges you and you and Scott had, you know, in the early days? Well, we did it in a different way to most organizations in that Scott and I brought two organizations together, which were already generating revenue. And we the first thing we did was we went into the same office. And then the second thing we did was we started um, both putting money into a joint pot, which went into the development of this business. And then the third thing we did was we merged the companies. Then it was only at that point that we looked to go and raise investment. Um, we, we, um, we started raising investment at the point where we worked out, we had real market validation 
And that was when we won the startup competition, the recruitment tech startup competition at Unleash um, in Amsterdam in yeah. 2018. And it was just a couple of months after that that we raised our first money. So we raised half a million of external investment from a private investor um, called Andreas Burica, um, who's got a fund called Jacobo Invest based in Berlin. And I met him um, the day that we won that competition. Um, and then we did a crowdfunding because so many people had come to us and said um, that they wanted to, you know, if they could invest 10 grand in our company, they'd really love to. And we were saying, yeah, we're not really going down that route. We're going to be going down the more traditional institutional VC yeah. route. Um, but then there was one guy at an RPO business who was a very, very influential person who said that he wanted to do it. And we, we went, actually, maybe we should just turn this into an active strategy now. And so, yeah, we did a crowdfunding. We raised half a million pounds um, for that as well. Uh, Crowdcube shows like 225,000 or something like that, I think, or maybe 280, I can't remember, but 200 and something. And then the other 200 and something couldn't be listed on that because it was from US investors. Um, and it, it was then that we went into, into the more traditional uh, VC route uh, with Blackfish Ventures who invested 1.3 million, I think, something like that. Um, so we raised about two and a half million in total. So it's not a lot. But you raised what you needed to get the, the job done. Do you know what I mean? To take it to the next level. You know, you're raising investment against specific goals. Like when we sold our company, I still owned a good share of the business because we hadn't gone and raised 15 million yeah. or 30 million or whatever. Uh, you know, and if we had raised that, I wouldn't have owned very much of the business left. So yeah, we wanted, there's always a balance in that which is really interesting. There's a balance of how much do we need to get to the next milestone mm -hmm. versus how much of the equity of the business can I preserve so that when we do exit, you know, it's going to have been worthwhile for me. So there's a real balance um, in that. And there's a lot of considerations and you know, some of them are emotional. Some of them are financial. Some of them are uh, like pragmatic. All new things, though, for me. That was, wasn't something I'd done before. I'd never raised external investment before. Yeah, um, learning something new on the job there, definitely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, it was fun as well. You know, it's like, I, I, I really love sales. I love when the person says yes. Just in the same <laughs> way that um, when I said, when I, I said earlier, I don't, I'm, I'm not interested in interviewing people or filling jobs. Actually, no, I am, I am interested in filling jobs. I'm interested in when the hiring manager or the HR or whoever goes, yeah, we want to hire that person. Yeah, I love that bit. You know, and at the same time, I also love the bit when investor an investor says, yes, let's do it. You know, that's also. Yeah, it must just, be a real high. Must be is, amazing. Yeah. Yeah. On the um, on the crowdfunding investment, I know it wouldn't be the same. I wouldn't. This wouldn't be the case for all the individual investors. But when that influential individual wanted to put some money in, that's almost that dragon's den scenario, isn't it? Where it's a lot of effort to get some of that crowdfunding together. But you're thinking I'm hiring another maybe 25 salespeople because they're going to have an investment in our company. They're going to tell everybody else about it. So not only are you getting an investment, you're getting some real bought-in influences by doing that. Well, it was 500 people. 500 um, people, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was 500 people who participated in that crowdfunding, and over half of them were in our industry, a lot of them in TA. A lot of them, yeah. you know, some of them went on to buy the product and recommend the product to their friends. You know, and I mean, even if they put in as little as 500 pounds, you know, they felt an emotional connection to our business. Yeah. Uh, and so it was a really great thing. And 
it's definitely something I would consider doing for my next business. Yeah. Well, I can imagine why. So if we think about the experience that you had with Candidate.ie, the experience with the the sourcing company before that and and what you're going to be doing now, Adam, in, in your new exciting venture, what is it that kind of continues to drive you to be a founder? What do you enjoy most about it? Um, because it, I don't think it's something that's in everyone. And like you already said, you you didn't think it was in yourself. It wasn't, you know, something that you naturally thought that you would do. What is it that you you really particularly enjoy about it? Yeah. So the first thing is, um, I don't I don't tend to do things. I I don't get much enjoyment out of like me too businesses. Um, so social media search was set up uh, two thousand and nine talent sourcing business. And yes, there were people who were sourcing on the internet, but there wasn't any like companies doing that and charging by the day yeah. for doing that. So, I mean, there may have been, but we certainly we didn't take our inspiration from any other business. Yeah. And um, when, when, when a TA manager or an HR director, whoever would say, right, how does it work then? And you'd explain, look, we don't charge placement fees. We just charge for our time to go and find people. And nearly everybody is on the internet and we can find their email addresses. And a lot of them, we can find phone numbers and we can give you some background information on them. And we can tell you about who they're connected to. And we can tell you, you know, some insights about them. And they were like, yeah, but what about like the job needing to get filled and whatever your recruiters don't really need that. They just need all of the, all of the first, like, the first 10 miles done, they can do the last mile. Mm. So lots of people get going, aha, that's an interesting way of doing it. You've effectively broken down the process of recruitment and you're charging just for the bit that we need from you, which is that first bit. Yeah. Um, and a lot of aha moments. And then with candidate ID, when I mean, right up until six months ago, I was still pitching candidate ID to companies, doing demos, things like that. And uh, the aha moments, every single demo we did, people going, wow, I didn't even know yeah. there was technology that could do that. You know, for me, that was fun. And it wasn't, it wasn't so much fun just because like, it was impressive to people. It was fun because it was genuinely going to help them do recruitment yeah. better. So what I really, really love about building companies is making recruitment better. It's about making the process better, making it faster, making the experience for people better, whether that's recruiters or candidates or hiring managers. Um, and, you know, just a different way of doing things. I talked earlier about, like, you know, some of my disdain for certain types of recruitment tech businesses. Um, which have clearly been set up with one goal in mind, and that's making money, right? And I'm I'm not doing that at all. I'm doing things in a different way. And my way of doing things is I want to progress recruitment and make it better. Yeah. And that's what gives me a buzz is when uh, I've set something up and I get feedback from people going, not just, oh, I like that, I would like to buy that, but more so, Three months in and six months in and 12 months in when they can tell me that their reduction in time to shortlist has been 50 percent as a result of using our product that they've filled more jobs per recruiter as you know from using that product or that service or whatever it is so that's the thing that i enjoy most about being a founder 
Yeah. And I guess hand in hand with giving people those aha moments is the is not freedom in 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 what maybe some people mean, but the freedom to go, that's a great idea, there's a gap. Can I solve that issue? Can I make something better? And then when you share it, you almost get that validation back and you see someone go, Wow, this solves that problem. It's that it's all that connectivity, isn't it? You've got the freedom to kind of go go out and solve those problems and, and make it happen essentially. Create I mean, something. I'm doing it. I'm I'm doing it right now. I've got lots of different ideas for talent acquisition and how it could be better. And I'm I'm constantly ranking them. Is this idea something that's going to be technologically challenging? Or is it going to be technologically impossible? Or is it actually going to be quite easy to build? Is this idea purely a service? Or does it need to be a technology? Or does it need to, humans to do it? All of the different aspects of um, how complex is it going to be to build this versus um, how much do people need it? And how much are they going to? Yeah. You know, is it going to be something that's going to really revolutionize the way people do recruitment? Or is it going to be a nice incremental benefit? Um, and I'm constantly thinking of ideas and ranking them. And yeah, I mean, I'm really looking forward to building another company. Um, I'll get going properly like in a few months time. But I'm just at this point, I'm just thinking, thinking, thinking. And as I'm thinking, most of it is about, yeah, but is that something that's really needed? Or does it just seem cool? Is it something that needs a business to do it? Is it a feature or is it a product? Yeah. Is it a platform or is it a point solution? And there's so many yeah, different aspects of that, which, which I find a lot of fun. And there is one other thing that I really love in being a founder. And that is that um, the element of like being an orchestra conductor. So like, I can't play all the instruments, um, but my job as the founder is to bring together, you know, a, a group of violinists and a group of cellists and somebody on the timpani and somebody on the oboe and, you know, bringing all these people together and turning that into like an amazing piece of music. I mean, that is, that is fun. Bringing people together who have got, entirely different skills um but they're all focused on the same thing which is creating a symphony you know yeah it's great that you say that as well because i imagine that that's probably what puts some people off from taking that leap and creating something i imagine there's a lot of people who've got great ideas have got the ability to make something happen but they think oh i can't do this but i can't do that i can't do this because they don't have that ability themselves um and i think the truth of it is having spoke to a few founders is no one is capable of doing it all of it themselves and, um, you know, doing the marketing, doing the sales, building the tech, et cetera, et cetera. And it actually is a, you know, the, the, the real skill is bringing all of those parties together to make it happen. That, that's a, that's a real high value, high value ability to have. Yeah, it is. I, I, I mean, I don't think I've seen anybody building any kind of significant and enduring company by doing it themselves. Um, <laughs> it's just, just not something I've ever seen happen, but um it, it, it is absolutely. I think for a lot of people, they probably, especially building a tech business, they just don't know. They just they 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 don't know where to start. They don't even know what the skills are that are needed to build a tech product, you know, unless they're a technical founder. And if they're a technical founder, they don't know where to start with sales and marketing. 
they don't yeah. they don't know where to where to start with actually what should the user interface look like to ge generate maximum adoption you know there's there there are yeah i mean for so many people you don't know what you don't know but i i, I i've got to a place where yeah i think the next business i build should be successful because i've generated quite a lot of experience yeah um, but and, and so a lot of that is from failing a lot of that's from failing in i've not really failed in any businesses but I've, i i have definitely failed in lots of initiatives and lots of things that i've started and haven't really worked um lots of mistakes lots of things that took you know in some cases years to work out that i was kind of going slightly the wrong direction um but also just learning to be a to be a successful founder, you've got to appreciate that you never ever stop learning, and you will definitely, no matter how many times you've done it before, you're definitely going to come across circumstances that you've never, you've never, yeah. you've never faced before. Yeah, I think that's going to be reassuring to a lot of our audience to hear. Um, no one has all of the answers, do they? And um, it's more of a case of optimizing over time. Um, yeah. Not to not to take too much of a negative slant, but given our discussion earlier about kind of investment and uh, investment in HR and recruitment technology, what else really frustrates you about our industry? There, there, it's an industry that could be often much maligned, um, but there's also a lot of room to do things better. What what are your kind of top few frustrations as you you look around the the recruitment landscape at the moment? I, don't, I mean, I don't really think that our industry is much different or our profession is much different to most others. Um, I mean, there's lots of uh, positive people in our space and there's um, there's probably a higher number of positive people in our space than there are in certain other disciplines because recruitment attracts entrepreneurial thinkers. You know, a lot of us started in recruitment agency where your desk is your mini business. Yeah. You know, and you get paid a base salary, but up, you know what your what your considerable dividends on top of that are going to be uh you know how you run run your desk the most successful recruiters are the ones who treated their desk like that the ones who yes. treated their day-to-day -day as this is just my own business it, yes the company's given me a roof and the, the kit and the tools but this is you know darren topping incorporated etc that's what i always saw from the very best recruiters yeah yeah no i i absolutely agree and um you know, so as a result, I think there are a lot of um, naturally positive people in our industry, but there's a lot of smart arses and there's a lot of, I mean, there, there are a lot of cynical people who have, there's a lot of people who haven't kept up with recruitment in the 90s, which is when I started in the late 90s. It's, you know, what, what made you as a recruiter successful in 1999 is not what you should still be training people to do in 2023. It, yeah. It's so you know there are there is a lot of. I mean, this is this is almost exclusively in the in the agency space, to be honest. Yeah. You know where a lot of people who own recruitment agencies and they're the CEO today, you know they're my age, they're 46, they've been in it for 20 years, and they're training people to do things the way that they did it, and whatever made them successful should make people successful today and that's not really it's a, right it's a different game isn't it changed a lot <laughs> yeah i mean in the ta yeah. space and in the rpo space in the rpo space particularly um i mean they embrace change and adopt new things quickly and um i don't know i the, 
I mean, there's there's not an awful lot that frustrates me. I think we we've we're a bit we're a, we've got a bit of low self esteem or status anxiety. We often think that we're behind other comparable professions like sales and marketing. But in actual fact, in a lot of things, we're not. Like if you look at advertising, for example, advertising technology in TA is just as good as it is, um, you know, across the fence in in mainstream sales and marketing. There's a lot of processes and things and ways that we do things, which is just as good as it is on the other on the other side. Um, but we, we do talk about the fact that we're years behind and whatever, but we are in some things, but in a lot of others, we're not. Um, so we've got a bit of low self-esteem that we that we shouldn't have. I am, I, I I do I do believe that TA needs to elevate in the business. You know yeah. that that cliche about the seat at the table and whatever. I'm not entirely sure if sitting under HR is the right place for TA. I've made the business case many times, or I've made the case online many times that it shouldn't. It should be separate. But I mean, you could say that for a lot of different business functions. And let's face it, the CEO can't have like 30 different people reporting to her or him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that that whole seat at the table thing and TA status in the organization, I do think it needs to be higher and it could be higher. But I think we're also getting there in terms of our ability to deliver business case and to show ROI and to show, show impact beyond time to hire and cost per hire. Um, and impact on, uh, you know, profitability for the organization and the organizational goals and CEO agenda. I think we're, I think we're getting closer to that. Yeah, definitely tying the quality of hire to the bottom line of the organization. Fundamentally, most companies are only as good as the people that they've got working for them and what they make happen. So being able to draw that that line to that is is, is super important. Um, yeah. This question is one that I'm asking a lot of my guests at the moment, Adam, and it's basically trying to get your help in doing my job for me a little bit, to be honest. This year, 2023 and kind of a little bit beyond, is so hard to predict from a world of work perspective, in my opinion. We've got seven and a half months left. We've got seemingly low business confidence. We've got candidates who want to move for salary, according to our research. But then we've got organisations who are kind of putting a cap now on on salary inflation um are there any kind of trends or themes from your perspective you think we're going to see this year yeah um, big question i know <laughs> it's a tough one to predict see, this year i think we're going to see a um sorry for the knock there by the way my wife's in the garden she just knocked on the window <laughs> i had to <laughs> tell her no, trying to get your help <laughs> yeah look so there's um yeah i i, I think i think this I, I don't, I'm not sure there's ever been a more um, dynamic period in the history of work. And I include the Industrial Revolution in that. I think that there will be a lot of jobs made obsolete by technology. We're hurtling fast towards a point that the impact of artificial intelligence is undeniable and there are many many jobs which are at risk so that's one thing that i think is going to become more and more clear this year 
and the jobs which I would inhumanely describe as low-hanging fruit, I mean, they're already going. I can see teams that used to be 10 people, now they're teams of six plus some technology. Yeah. You know, and I'm, I, I, I really do believe that we're going to create jobs which we can't imagine just now. I really yeah. do believe that's going to happen. <clears throat> and I think the future for the job of a recruiter is going to be very much around experience design. It's yeah. going to be around um, managing technology. Um, and it's going to be a lot less of what it has been traditionally. So that's one thing. The second thing is there, there has to be a winner in the debate around work from home, work from office, work from anywhere. There, there will be a winner. A winner will emerge. This feels like the crunchy year, doesn't it, for it? This feels like the crunchy year where the pattern will be decided. That's how I feel anyway. I think there's companies, I, I think there's certain companies and possibly industries which will be hurting by the end of the year because of the decision that probably the CEO has made around choosing that people will not be in an office or choosing that people will be in an office. And I don't yet know what I think is um, going to be the winner. But what I do know is those companies that are offering optimal flexibility at this point will be putting themselves in the best place to succeed because they'll be able to measure the impact of all of it. And right at this point, they'll also be giving themselves the biggest talent pipelines. Yeah. Um, you know, not working from home is definitely not for everybody for all sorts of different reasons. Uh, but I can certainly say I will never be doing a job again where there's a requirement for me to be in an office Monday to Friday, nine to five. Uh, and, you know, the pandemic accelerated that considerably. It was always going to happen, but the pandemic accelerated that by probably 10 years, I would think, you know, are thinking about all of this. So, you know, the impact of, impact of technology on jobs right across the board, senior jobs, junior jobs, jobs in all sorts of different industries, uh, the changes and probably some pain are going to happen this year. And then the second one is around, you know, work from where. And I think, I don't think we'll have any answers by the end of this year, but I think we'll, we will see companies and industries who having made the wrong decisions and hurting and reversing yeah. their decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Our, um, our latest research actually showed that less than 5% of tech workers ever wanted to work in an office full time again. Yeah. Um, of course, there's problems for organizations where they want to scale up culture um and, and things like that so like like you i'm not sure what the right answer is but undoubtedly that, that you're going to have a much bigger talent pool much greater choice of candidates especially in tech if you are as flexible as you possibly can with working location yeah completely agree um i'm not sure how much you can share on this adam but your your next venture and, and the pipeline of that i know you're doing some consulting at the moment some some pro bono work with with other founders but in terms of your next uh, creation. Are you going to be able to share any of that with us, even if uh, a couple of bullet points about what you've got planned? Um, yeah, so the last 
my last business candidate ID was contextualizing mainstream sales and marketing software, marketing automation software for talent acquisition. I'm spending a lot of time reviewing customer experience software, sales software, marketing software, and establishing where are those areas, e-commerce software, where are those areas actually doing things better than we are in um, talent acquisition? And yeah, there's gaps, there's big gaps. There's a lot of types of technology we've got within recruitment today, as I said earlier, which just are not fit for purpose, but they are in some cases like the standard way that we go about doing things. So I can, I can, certainly, I can certainly say that what I do next and probably what I do for the next 15 years is going to be bringing in technologies that help TA um, do things better and it, it but they, they won't they won't be brand new technologies to the world they will be recontextualizing from successes in parallel areas yeah oh it's super interesting looking forward to, to finding out more and, and following you on your journey are there any other kind of great HR and recruitment technology providers out there at the moment that you'd, that you'd recommend or give a shout out to at this stage, people that you've come across in, you know, the, the past or in the, in the most, more recent history. Massive shout out to iSIMS. Absolutely love iSIMS. I'm a massive <laughs> cheerleader for everything about iSIMS. I literally wear their socks every Saturday <laughs> and will continue to do that for some time. Uh, beyond iSIMS, I really, really like um paradox i think that they've reimagined high volume hiring and they are run by super smart people and then the other one that i want to shout out to is live hire live hire and its federated model whereby the candidate creates a profile and then chooses which live hire customers they want to share that profile with and they only have to update it once and everybody that they've given permission to view that profile you know gets to see it that's putting the candidate first yeah that's creating a great experience for candidates and i really love live hire so you know there's there's lots of other things out there as well but um yeah i mean big fan of isims for all sorts of reasons Paradox are doing great things in the in the high volume area, and um, I, I just love the whole concept of the federated candidate profile model that Live Hire have got in place. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, I remember the first time I met iSims would have been about ten years ago, and I actually don't know if they had a UK base at the time because um, whenever we were taking them into an RPO pitch or something like that, they were sending over people from their office in New Jersey and stuff like that, and. It's brilliant to see how they've they've grown in that time. I, I think they were really small, but they've just rapid expansion. And uh, yeah, it's a great product. I, I couldn't agree with you more. So thanks so much, Adam, for for all your time. I know I've, I've taken a lot of it when you know taken a lot of your valuable thinking time, as I can imagine you there pondering pondering your next move. Um, 
this podcast, the Lorient podcast, our, our official name is People Make the Difference. Um, so what we do ask our guests at the end of every episode is, obviously there's tons of people that will have made a difference in your life, and I think you've spoken about some of them today. But could you tell us maybe about just one person that's made a made a difference in your life? Yeah, Christine Black. Uh, Christine <clears throat> started working with me in 2009. I, when I first started the social media services business, I was about a month in and I really had more work than, than I could deal with. And I'm a good ideas person. I come up with new initiatives. What I'm not always quite, quite as good at is the last mile, like landing the initiative. And so I just posted on Facebook, look, I need somebody who can, who's got these skills, which are all the skills that I don't have. And um, an old rugby pal of mine messaged me and went, that could be Christine that you're talking about. Uh, and I went, great, I'd love to like talk to her. And um, the timing was good for her. Unfortunately, she'd been made redundant from a really good job. Um, and uh, she became the first person that I employed. And uh, she is, remains, she's at ISIMS now. Um, we worked together from September 2009 <clears throat> until the end of January 2023 for like 14 years. And uh, she kind of fills in my uh, gaps. So, you know, the things that uh, I was not so good at, she was good at. And she pretty much finished my sentences as well. You know, we knew each other so, so well. Yeah. Uh, she knows me <clears throat> almost as well as my wife does. In fact, in many respects better. Uh, and uh, was a, a real Swiss army knife in the 14 years that we worked together, yeah. being able to turn her hand to all sorts of different things. She did courses in HR, despite having no previous interest or experience in that her background's in marketing she led our customer success team at candidate id um i mean she i i, I we would be here for another 20 minutes if i was to list all the different things that she ended up having to do because she was just so flexible and adaptable um mm. and yeah like a real swiss army knife so christine black um absolutely loved working with christine and maybe we'll work together in the future sometime Oh, that'd be great, wouldn't it? There's um, there's something about really strong operators who can just deliver and get the job done and pick up and adapt and be flexible, as you said, that when you're in a room with them or when you're in a meeting with them or when you're stuck, they're just awesome to watch in action, aren't they? These kind of people. I can think of a few off the top of my head. They're few and far between these people, but they're just incredible. Yeah, I, 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 I wouldn't say I'm not a starter finisher. But I'm certainly not good at finishing everything. And I, I, I definitely come up with ideas at a velocity which my ability to finish them does not match. <laughs> it's not, well, it's not, not served you too badly, has it? So far, so good. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for your time, Adam. Really appreciate it. And yeah, look forward to working with you again in the near future. Yeah, Darren, it's been a real privilege. Thanks very much for having me.